So John chapter 9. John chapter 8. We, uh, we witnessed what the Lord did in a woman's life as she was caught in the act of adultery. Adultery, having sexual relations with somebody outside of marriage, the Old Testament, was to be dealt with by that person who was caught losing their lives. And when I say that person, it's actually two people, the man and the woman. John chapter 8, there's a woman presented to Jesus by the religious leaders. and They come up in their pride and arrogance and ask you, Lord, we found this woman. She was caught in adultery in the very act. Moses says, you know, we that, that she should be she should be killed. Well, what do you say? And they think they've got Jesus. You know, on one one side or the other, they're going to verbally trap Jesus Christ. And uh, Jesus' response is not what they expected. They expected him to play along with the game, and he just stooped down and started writing on the sand. They kept asking. Jesus stood up and said, that he who is among you uh, that has never sinned, basically, uh, has not sinned, cast the first stone. And then the scripture says something powerful. It says, from the oldest to the youngest, they all dropped their stones and went away. And the Lord stands and <clears throat> looks at the woman and addresses her sin. It's very important for us to understand. Our sin cannot be something that remains in our lives. Jesus asks her, where are those accusers of yours? She said, they're not here. And he said, neither do I. The, the ones that wanted to condemn, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. And sin no more. It wasn't a, hey, just go your way. Yeah, you got caught this time. It was go your way. We are called to confess and forsake our sin. We can't let it sit there privately. There, You guys know as well as I do, in, in, in 2023, I almost said 22, uh, 2023, technology that exists. It's okay, especially in uh, the past few years, everybody was locked into their homes. It's easy, easy to not have personal accountability. Churches were told not to even meet. There was a lot of stuff going on that was that was isolating people, and in that isolation, there's the opportunity because you know you know a fool isolates himself, it rages against all sound judgment. Proverbs tells us, right? Those that's that's a bad thing for us to be isolated. We are supposed to gather together, have that accountability. You know, when the Lord told this woman, "Go your way and sin no more." Think of, I mean, this this woman could have been stoned right then. Think of how powerful that change uh, that 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 message had, and how it changed her life, and how the Lord used that. Then after that, there's a long dialogue of Jesus's uh, ministry in uh, the religious leaders trying to claim that he's not. He doesn't have the authority to teach and, you know, who are you and who are we and all these things. And Jesus gets right down to the point and tells him, you are sons of the devil. I'm a son of God. If if, if you were uh, sons of Moses like you're claiming to be, then you would recognize me for who I am. But they couldn't recognize him because they were sons of the devil. And and, and he tells them that he's that their father is a father of lies and he's a murderer from the beginning. Because the murder that was in their heart, they were trying to trap Jesus. So 
as we go into to verse 9, that's, that's where we're coming out of from John chapter 8. So John chapter 9, verse 1 says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it was day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? So as we see in verse 1, Jesus is walking and he sees this, sees this blind man and understanding that this man has spent his whole life without the ability to see. His whole life without the ability to see anything. You know, he hadn't been able to see his parents. He had siblings, sunrise, colors. Have you ever heard somebody say, try to, try to describe the color blue to somebody who's blind? You know, this, this man had never seen anything. He'd never seen beautiful flowers. Couldn't provide for himself. We understand from what we see here, he didn't have a job. He's begging. Couldn't read. You know, when you, uh, when you think, I mean, if you think of even Braille, Braille was... Uh, it wasn't the first uh, way of, of uh, the, the blind being able to read, but uh, it's, it's our most common now. And, and uh, in the 1800s, Lewis Braille lost his, his sight at the age of three as a result of an accident with a stitching all from his father's um, harness-making shop. And an infection had uh, gone to both of his eyes. And uh, he, he lost his sight at three, and he attended an institute for the blind in Paris and at 15 years old, he developed this system that we know that bears his name. And 63 characters, one to six dots per character, and it's arranged differently uh, to represent different things. So this this 15-year-old kid came up with this while he was in, in an institute for the blind in Paris as a means of, of uh, educating himself and reading. And he eventually became a professor at that same institute that he attended. He was also a musician. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? Became a professor, somebody who couldn't even see. Couldn't even see and ended up becoming a professor. But we understand in this man's life, he had lived his adult life as a beggar. His parents most likely poor, can't provide for him. So um, they, he's, he's out begging. And um, there's no more humble thing that I can think of than sitting on a street corner or sitting on some steps with a can asking people for their spare change. When you do, you know, just that ability to, to look into someone's eyes and look at somebody and, and hope that they're going to provide for you. You know, with this man, with this, with this uh, real need in his life, he didn't have a way of, of making money and, and he was a beggar. And, you know, the Lord sees him and 
And uh, it just says that uh, that he was blind from his birth. And in verse two says, and his disciples asked, you know, you know, was it was it a result of this man's sin or his parents' sin that he's blind? There, there, there's only one option. He's blind because of sin. Who sinned? Was it his parents or was it him? You know, it wasn't a question of of if somebody sinned, but really who had sinned is is really where they're at. And, um, you know, in their minds, because of their culture, uh, you know, there had to be something so vile or so wrong in their lives that nobody knew about, some sort of secret sin. And, uh, you know, no doubt that came from non-biblical teachings that had had been passed down to them. And, you know, as, uh, Jesus settles this in his response in verse 3, and, and we'll get to that in a moment. But another example of us not only understanding the basic truths of the Bible, but for us to be serious, serious students of the scripture. It's important specifically for Christians to know the scriptures. That's why we study the Bible verse by verse. Whole Calvary Chapel movement. Don't have to be able to get creative. I Believe me, some people have that gift and they can get creative and whip up these. The, you, you guys, I've already given you the example of a blank piece of paper is torture for me. Hey, go ahead, just write and color whatever you want. I'm just... I can't do it. I'm not creative. I don't have to do that. I love that in Calvary Chapel, our focus is getting in the word and just reading it verse by verse. Not the only way to do it. Just the, the it's the way that uh, Calvary Chapel does it. And uh, what I love about it is it takes us from Gen Genesis through the book of Revelation from one end of the book to the other end. It'll be a while. Yeah, I've been in this position for four months, and we're in John chapter 9. So we've gone through nine verses on Sunday morning. That's uh, right, nine chapters on Sunday mornings. We're not in a race. You know, this is a marathon. We're all getting settled in. And uh, just to understand the importance of knowing the Scripture, their theology was off. They walk up, and they instantly, when they see this man that's been in this, this, this uh, condition his whole life, they ask, you know, all right, who sinned? Was it his parents? And, and they're probably thinking, oh, hey, we're going to get into a really, really deep discussion. Hey, Lord, who was it? Who was it that sinned? You know, teach us some more about this. And, uh, and, and they get an answer from the Lord they weren't expecting. As we're in the Word, we have solid biblical theology. We're mature. We're well-nourished. We're ready for when things come and, and well-established in our faith. Not led astray by heretical teachings. False teachings like this. You know, we have a proper perspective in life and it allows us for a proper ministry. Now, if my ministry is, hey, if you're sick, you're a sinner. If you've broken your leg, you were sinning. You know, you lost your eyesight, you were sinning. Yeah, you ever been discouraged and had somebody come up who doesn't have the gift of encouragement around? <laughs> yeah. The whole culture this man was used to, he was used to being blamed. You know, what an awful thing, you know, that when people saw him, they automatically judged him and or his parents as sinners and cursed in God's eyes. That's awful. His whole life, this man has been through that. You know, you know, did this around the world back then, and it still happens now. Oh, well, if you have this going on in your life. You know, you're, you're cursed. If you have this going on in your life, if you're from here, if you look like this, da, 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 how heretical is that? How wrong is that? 
guys, we have one race. We, yeah, I was, you know, just, I'm always blessed. In, in, in uh, the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing, and he's talking about, you know, th there's, there's one human flesh. We get so wrapped up with, well, this, this skin pigment's darker, this pigment's lighter, this person's from uh, South America, this person, whatever. And, 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 and what our culture does and what our world does is encapsulate that and say, well, this person must be like this then. This person must be like this. You know, what did Paul, uh, sorry, um, you know, what did the Lord tell Samuel? That man looks on the outside, but God looks on the inside. Remember, Samuel's out looking for a king. And uh, and as he's out there, you know, he's looking around and everything. And uh, no, the Lord's saying, you're, you're, we don't look based on appearance. God at first gave them the king that you would think they'd want in Saul. Head and shoulders above everybody, good-looking guy and everything. Because they demanded a king. And then the Lord provided a king that was out shepherding the flock. Wasn't even considered when Samuel went to Jesse's house to go talk to uh, David's uh, David's dad, and and uh, the Lord is just saying, you're not looking for an outward appearance. Who cares about an outward appearance? Stupid. This man, this man, because of the uh, the physical infirmity he had, was automatically judged as a sinner, instantly in that culture. What a what a life that this man had to deal with. Verse three, Jesus said that. Uh, you know, that you know, what this man had gone through for his whole life, that the works of God should be revealed in him. So their question is, well, who sinned, Lord? Well, you know, was it, was it this guy or was it his parents? And Jesus goes way past that. He said, nope. That the works of God should be revealed in him. You know, think of the struggles. Yeah, the, the struggles this guy already had in his life. As a young kid can't really go out and kick a soccer ball around, can't find the ball, right? So, okay, how many friends do you have? Just growing up as a kid, how many friends are you going to have that are willing to say, hey, you know, you know, they didn't really have Transformers to sit down and play with back then. You know, it might be like, hey, we're just sticking a rock. Let's, let's put them together and see if we can, I don't know, play Jenga or something. <clears throat> so that already limited everything for him in his life. And, uh, you know, being told that something's your fault, that he caused it, he's already bearing a lot of weight, you know, that his parents were sinners. You know, so it's either him or his parents. You think that might have caused some arguments in life as he got frustrated with, with his limitations and his inabilities to be involved in things that, it, that everybody else was involved in and not be able to provide for himself? You know, I wonder if that turned into some internal strife at one point or another in, in, in his family. You know, spend his days begging, you know, and, and uh, <clears throat> you know, he, he couldn't make a living. And, and you think of something now, um, in my old job, um, I'm retired uh, from the military now, about a year and a half now. But in my old job, one of my uh, jobs as a superintendent was to, um, was to pull our budget together, request our budget, and then uh, spend our budget. And uh, there are certain ways to do that within the government. And uh, one of the pre-approved uh, businesses that we could use uh, was Industries for the Blind and Visually Impaired. And it was awesome to call those people because when I would call them, these are people that can't see and they have the, they have the ability to provide for themselves. They, they, this whole company was built 
and, and designed around training people that can't see to be able to provide for themselves and be able to go to work and, and have something uh, productive to be a part of. This man didn't have those opportunities. He's sitting there just begging all the time. Maybe he'd given up hope. Maybe he'd tried to do things that just wasn't coming together. I, I, I don't know. We don't have the backstory. But some of those wonderful organizations that are out there now that are designed to help these people, they weren't there. This was a physical infirmity and, you know, might have led to some times of him crying out to the Lord. You know, God, why'd you make me like this? Why am I, why am I dealing with these things? It's a little bit of a different context from Romans 9, but I think you'll, you'll understand where I'm going with it as I share it. Romans 9.20 says, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Different context in, in, in Romans 9, but just wanted to share that, that, that the Lord makes us how he wants to make us. And uh, he's, he's going to still uh, call us and use us and, and, and uh, build us as we follow him. When we, uh, speaking of Paul, the one that wrote Romans, you know, as a way to gain perspective on a, on a, a similar situation, and how can it apply spiritually uh, in our lives? You know, we consider the life of, of Paul and his situation, his physical infirmity as he's he's praying. And we'll we'll get into this in Second Corinthians uh, twelve. You know, Paul speaking as, of his physical ailment, which I've heard from many pastors that it was an eye condition that he had. Paul says this in Second Corinthians twelve, verse seven through ten says, "And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the." Revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might be it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That a man that has the foundation of Christ can face these type of situations because of who Christ is and how he is working in our lives. And as he's praying, he says, I pleaded with the Lord. And the response he got from the Lord wasn't, okay, you prayed long enough. Now I'll answer your prayer. The response was, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. The Lord, that saying, and you guys know I've said it before, the Lord will never give you more than, than you can handle. Oh, no. The Lord loves to give us more than he, we can handle because that makes us rely upon him, that we have to, every step, everything that we're doing, we have to be fully relying upon the Lord, just entrusting in him. When we're weak, then I'm strong because the Lord is working. So they asked Jesus this, and Jesus settles the issue for the disciples. You know, one of the disciples that Jesus gave the explanation of, no, 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 what, this, what happened is uh, this happened in this man's life that God would be glorified, to, to summarize it. One of those people that heard that is writing this gospel account. And Jesus explains, neither this man nor his parents were responsible for this. And not that they had never sinned. We, all, the scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This was just not a result of their sin in their lives. 
we've seen we've seen when sin does result uh, in uh, maybe even a physical infirmity. It might be something that affects our lives, and unfortunately, there are great birth defects uh, that can happen when somebody has uh, used or abused drugs or alcohol when they're pregnant. This wasn't one of those cases. You know, the Lord is, is saying here that uh, this specific situation happened that God would be glorified. And, you know, this man you know, had no idea uh, why he was blind or that Jesus would come along and heal him. You know, I'm sure that he had gotten to a point in his life like, hey, the hope of hopelessness. Like, yeah, I'm just going to put that away and I'm going to try to get through each day the best I can. Uh, and, you know, maybe someday when I'm standing before the Lord, I can ask why. Maybe he had that mindset. I don't know. But he didn't know it was going to happen that day. I, can, I guarantee you that. He didn't wake up going, ah, I feel like today's going to be the day. You know, Jesus is going to walk by and boom, I'm good. You know, I, I don't think he was expecting that. You know, you know, we don't know what this man's post-healing life was like. But, I, you know, I, based on what we see as this chapter of I, I, I hate to use the word the evolves, but as the chapter continues, um, you know, you know, what did God do in and through this man? I imagine it was powerful things. First four and five, Jesus continues to tell that he's, on, he's, he's used this wording several times in John. So uh, we'll just kind of address it quickly and keep moving forward, but that he's on a mission to do the Father's will. It's important to draw, though, that he's there to you know, draw those in darkness to the light. If you've never heard the, the song, uh, old 70s, uh, Christian uh, artist named Don Francisco. Uh, if you've never heard the song, uh, heard any of his stuff, awesome storyteller. And uh, he he tells this story in a song called Since I Met Him. Very powerful uh, voice, amazing guitar player, amazing. You listen to him play, he can play really, uh, really fast, really slow, powerful, soft, everything. And it all, always sounds amazing. I have his live album that uh, my buddy Jonathan gave me over in Washington State over 20 years ago. He's like, listen to this guy. You might not like the actual style of it. And then I heard it, and I'm like, little 70s sounding, I get it. But this man's powerful message in what he's writing. And what he'd do, he'd write his songs based on biblical accounts. And he writes a song, and, and in the song, part of the chorus says, Yesterday I was in darkness. Since I met him, I can see. And uh, you got to, you know, look up, look up uh, Don Francisco since I met him. There's also too small a price that you want to listen to. That's an amazing song in and of itself. Verses six and eight, we see that Jesus spat on the ground and made clay. He anointed the eye of the blind man uh, with the clay that he had made and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now we understand that God heals people in many ways. You think of the centurion's son. And Jesus spoke to the man, uh, and he was healed. He wasn't even present in the situation. We saw that there were times where he would show up, and he'd go to where uh, the, the the young girl was was dead, and he you know Talitha Kumai, and he he would uh, you know little child arise, and uh, you know there were there were times where you know he would touch a leper, which was. It's against the law. You're not supposed to do, and he would heal him and make him well. Second Corinthians five. You might be you might remember how Naaman, who um, came and fully covered in leprosy, 
which was a death sentence back then. He was going to lose uh, all of his nerve endings. Wouldn't I realize when he got injured or sick or anything like that, and it would grow to a massive infection and it would kill somebody. And Naaman was told, "Hey, just go dip in the go dip in the Jordan." He was offended at that. So like, what are you talking about? Okay, well, would you rather him say go climb the mountain, go do this, that, and the other thing, and then you've got to you know, ring the bell and you got to do all these other things, or something as simple as that? He goes, he does, he, he washes, and the leprosy's gone. You know, Mark seven, the deaf and mute man, Jesus puts his fingers in his ears and spat on his tongue. It's pretty eccentric things that you know as you're going through. And, and in this case here, he makes mud, smears it in the guy's eyes, and goes and tells him to wash in the pool of Siloam. He did, and he was healed. You know, the Lord's not. It, 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 I love how he does that because mankind, and specifically within a religious sects, he would say, "This is the only way Jesus heals. This is the only way to get healed." You see what I mean? Then they're going to build and they're going to start building uh, idols and altars. I, I've told you before, Jen and I went to Rome when we uh, we were over there, ninety nine to two thousand one, and we get there, and I was like, "This place is awesome." You know, you're getting to look at all these big fountains and see the Colosseum. It's different when you go in there. We were fairly new in our, our relationship with the Lord, actually following him. But to go in into the Colosseum and look around and go, yeah, this is where our brothers and sisters were killed to entertain everybody. That, that all these bloodthirsty people wanted to watch our brothers and sisters run around and try to get away from lions and get mauled in front of them. It was a little bit different than wow, this is really cool. It was it was it was a moment for us. But as we're walking around, I realized, wait a minute, there's statues everywhere. And you can walk by and there's these tables and they've got little things of the Pope or Jesus doing the, the two finger thing, you know, and, and and all these things. And 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 while we're while we're there, I'm just telling her, I'm like, this right here is wrong. It's idolatry. So as, as cool as it was to be there, to walk into the Sistine Chapel, if you get a chance, guys, go. But understand that there is uh, the idolatry is running rampant outwardly right there. I mean, we can talk about idolatry here, just being kind of hidden behind things and not so hidden in, in times here. But but just to be there and to see all these things and realize, like, it's it's okay. You can grab this and walk around with St. Christopher or whatever in your hand and you know, or whatever it is, and go set that up and build a shrine and all that that type of idolatrous practice. I grew up Catholic. So I got there, and I'm like, hey, this is kind of cool. But when you look at the scripture, and we understand that the scriptures tell us that there's one mediator between God and man, and that's a man, Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. Remember Ken Graves saying that 20-something years ago on a tape that I listened to over in Italy. I had um, uh, Kyle and Dee Dee Roberts back here. Um, their their son, uh, David Lehman and um, Mike Archer, and, you know, two best friends of mine. And and uh, when I joined the military, Dee Dee used to send me things, uh, send me letters while I was in basic training. And she'd hide a piece of gum in there, and I was too scared to eat it, so I'd ball it up and throw it away, or you know, flush it down the toilet. You know, but she was trying to give me a little treat when I was there. But when we were in Italy. Lord just put it on her heart, and she'd send me those cassette tapes. I'm dating myself, I understand that, but uh, you know, then I would just, you know, even when we were in in Washington State uh, after you know, we got back in 2001, and we were living out there, I'm mowing my lawn, listening to the cassette tapes of Chuck Smith and and Ken Graves. But I remember Ken saying that First Timothy two five, and it's stuck in my head. Memorize the scriptures, know them. There's there are so many things that uh, 
Um, and I, 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 I have many loved ones uh, in my family that, that are Catholic. I don't walk around just trying to lop off their spiritual ears and anything like that. But when idolatry is running rampant in, a, in the city that, it, that is supposed to be set for you know, the, the headquarters and everything. It was, it was even as a brand new Christian, very evident and, 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 um, concerning to me that I didn't look at it and go, Oh, this is kind of cool. Let's get together a collection. You know, that the Lord warned me when I saw that and he, he pointed that out and we, we saw that, you know, the Lord, the Lord isn't uh, just set into, uh, into healing in one specific way. You know, understand that it's it's the maker that is supposed to be glorified and honored when something like this happens and not anybody or anything else. You know, if the Lord were to use one of us to perform a miracle, there's absolutely think of how the disciples dealt with that. The apostles at that point, they were sent out at that point. When you go through the book of Acts, somebody wants to praise them. They're like, absolutely not. I'm a man just like you. I'm a human being. Stand up. Nothing special here. God's just using me. Understanding that he's the one to be glorified. He's the one that can work and have the biggest impact on an individual. So this man's told to go wash in the pool of Siloam, so he did. Understand, you know, I'm sure he looked, he's like, I don't understand what's happening. You know, you put some some mud on my eyes, told me to go. The guy had no other option, really. It wasn't like, like he uh, had had a bunch of people trying to heal him and make him well. I'm sure he didn't understand it, though. So he went and he did that. And what happened? But uh, you know, we see that he was obedient to the words of Christ and came back seeing. There's a powerful lesson for us. This man, the only thing that he had heard from Jesus that we see in the recording was telling him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he did it. He gets some mud, you know, in desperation, gets some mud uh, spread on his eyes, and he's he's he ready to obey uh, whatever he hears. You know, we may not understand why the Lord is telling us to do things in a certain way, but if we have proper biblical understanding and we know that he's called us to do something, we don't need, it's not our responsibility to understand the why and the how, it's to follow the Lord. If he's leading us and we know that and we see that in the scripture, that's what we're supposed to do. No messing around. Jen, uh, when uh, she uh, stepped into the role um, as uh, you know, leading the women's ministry here, um, brand new to uh, something like that, and to teaching and everything, and dove right into it. I told her, babe, just because I've become, babe, here I go, dog. I, I just told her, just because uh, you know I'm the pastor here doesn't mean that you have to start taking on certain roles. She's like, no, I think the Lord's calling me. She's she's starting to study differently, and she's starting to listen to different uh, different teachers differently. And she's like, ah, you know, I was listening to 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 uh, Chuck Smith today, and she was blessed. She goes uh, that that he said in there that that we don't always need to understand uh, you know what we're called to do. We're not always called to understand it, but we're called to believe. Because when Chuck was trying to understand a deep uh, spiritual. Um, uh, spiritual, really, it's a it's a, a debate, 600 years old. When he's trying to understand, he gets really frustrated and he throws, I don't know if his Bible or books or whatever, he's like, ah, God, I don't understand it. Why? And God just whispers to him, I didn't call you to understand. I call you to believe in me. And that's it. You know, just as, as long as we uh, believe in the Lord and follow him obediently based upon his word, then we're going to be led to where we need to be. This man was obedient 
something basic uh, and, and, and pro- uh, basic had happened in his life. And, and okay, what is going and washing in the pool of Siloam? Good? I don't know. He told me to go do it. So somebody must have led him there. or He might have had the, the path to the pool. Uh, maybe that's where he bathed. I don't, I, I don't know. We don't have that context, but he, he gets there and he goes and he does as the Lord said. And, you know, the, the work of Christ in this man's life was immediate and evident to all around him. And everybody's waited. Is this the guy? And people are trying to figure out, you know, is, is this the right guy? It's the one we know, you know, it's so evident. They had to wonder if it was the same person and they'd probably never seen him with his eyes open. Right. See somebody who's blind, they usually have their eyes closed. I don't know that everything behind it from what I've seen though, they don't it's it things can you know, they might have spots or something, maybe it makes them dizzy or something. I don't know, but often they'll have glasses on or their eyes closed. Maybe they didn't recognize him because his eyes were open. Happened to me uh yesterday, we were not that. Um we're we were at Hannaford uh yesterday and a guy sees me from work and he's used to seeing me in my work uniform. And he didn't recognize me, right? How's it going? He's like Ah, we're out of context, he says. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, because we're used to seeing each other. I'm, you know, usually in my my work uniform and everything. It took him a second. He kind of looks at me weird, like, why is this dude waving at me? And, you know, I introduced him to my wife. But he wasn't used to seeing it. It used to be like that, especially, you know, with a military uniform uh, for ladies because they'd have to have their hair up. And then they get their hair down and they're dressed like normal people. And everybody's like, I didn't even recognize you. You're not used to seeing. And I, I think any of us can kind of get that. But we don't know what it was, but they didn't recognize him as they're seeing him now. Verse 9. Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes open? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So he went and wa- so I went and washed, and I received sight. He said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. I don't know. He said this, and I went and did it, and this is what happened. You know, you don't think this is me. This is, this is definitely me. And he's instantly testifying of what Jesus Christ did for him. It's caused so much confusion that all around him, they're trying to figure it out. They can't, they can't so they ask him. And it, his, I love his response. A man called Jesus, made clay, anointed my eyes, and told me to wash, and I received my sight. You know, that's not typically it's going to be, especially for us uh, in, in modern day or whatever, it might be more along the lines of, oh, I can walk now. I went through X amount of surgeries and, you know, physical therapy, everything. When God shows up, things are different. And and he, that's that's how he just tells it how he uh, exactly how it happened, and, and they ask him, you know, where is he? He doesn't know, and uh, you know, you know, the Lord does work the same way uh, in our lives as He did this man. It may not be that physical uh, infirmity that we're dealing with or anything, but you know, um, what happens is is we're not the same after we meet Jesus as we were before we knew Him. The same with this man. You know, and, and it should be evident as it was to everybody around. Wait a minute. Something's changed with this guy. That should be evident in everyone's life. What's going on? And our answer can be, I met Jesus. I, I just met Jesus and everything changed. And uh, just it reminds me even of that song. But I, yesterday I was in darkness. But since I met him, I can see that Don Francisco song. You know, we have a new master. We're no longer serving our flesh and sinful desires and you know we now belong to the king 
and this uh, doesn't necessarily mean that we'll be instantly and completely different. You know, it's a process. Some of us, it's going to take our whole lives. You know, but there should always be evidence of Christ in our lives if we're following him. If there isn't, if nobody sees any change and there's no change in our conduct, how we conduct ourselves, then we need to consider what's going on. Nothing has changed in how I conduct myself, my life every day. Nobody has noticed any difference in me or anything. You know, are we are we fully committed to him? You know, when we are are spending that time in prayer and in the word, we're, we're at church and we're we're following those things that should come as a result. Now, some of those things are going to be evident immediately. You're in regular attendance. You're going where tomorrow? You don't want to go to bar with us tonight? Why not? You met Jesus. But just come on. Let's go. No, I got church. In the, you got what in the morning? <laughs> What are you doing? What are you some uh, uh, guys? These, these are the things that we deal with. The the basic the basics of, you know, not that we are now walking around with this bad saying I'm better than anybody else. But no, you know what? Things have changed in my life since I met him. I can see, you know, be prepared for persecution, for rejection, to not be invited to certain things after a while. Things might be a little bit different. <clears throat> The change was evident in this guy. He didn't know who Jesus was. He just knows that Jesus ministered to him, changed him, and he didn't know how to find him after this. Verse 13, then they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and, and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to him, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such thing, such signs? And there was division among them. So they asked, they didn't like the answer. And we see that Jesus is at it again, right? How many times have we already studied Jesus healing on the Sabbath and the religious leaders losing their minds? They're losing their minds. And Jesus is confronting them. What are you talking about? The scriptures very clearly say, even if your neighbor's uh, animal's stuck in a ditch on the Sabbath, you can go help them. And Jesus says, where does it have, you know, be, as explained, I'm paraphrasing, that you can't heal somebody and make them whole on the Sabbath. What are you talking about? He's addressing the fact that, <coughs> excuse me, they're so set on their religiosity, if you want to think of that word. They're so set on dotting the I's, crossing the T's, they missed the whole point of ministry. The whole point of having a relationship with God. And 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 we're not going to go deep into that. We've gotten into that several times over the last few weeks. Um, but, but Jesus is at it again. He's healing on the Sabbath, which was perfect. I love it. And then he's making a point to these religious leaders. You know, he's been confronting them all along. And and there's there's scripture says that, that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for Sabbath. The Sabbath wasn't to be this word, thing that's where it's set up for man to just be able to rest. That God actually had to command us to sometimes take a break. You know, how, how bad are we, you know, at even doing that? I'm awful. I'm awful at taking a break. My wife tells me all the time, you don't know how to relax. I don't. I don't. There's something about it. I don't. I don't know what my deal is, but it is what it is. The Lord's going to work on it. No, <laughs> Basically, the problem was that Jesus was breaking their tradition rather than the, than the word of God, and he addressed that with them several times. So what we see here is there was division among them, and uh, you know, division caused the name and work of Christ. Again, 
You know, and, and, you know, he didn't come to bring, Jesus said it himself, he didn't come to bring peace but a sword, to divide in God's name, to set things straight. You know, some believed and, you know, others accused him of crimes punishable by death. And the question that's asked is, can a sinner do this? You're calling him a sinner that if he's working willfully on the Sabbath, and you can go back and, and understand that if someone's caught working on the Sabbath, depending on what they did, they are either be cast out or killed. You know, and that's what they're accusing Jesus of doing. And they're like, no, wait a minute. If this guy's a sinner, would he be doing this? Verse 17. He said to the blind man, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that, they had, that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents, the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. By what, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He's of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed already that if anyone confessed that Jesus was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Once again, religious leaders don't like the answer that they got. And they said, well, what do you say about him? And when they, when they asked that question to the man, what do you say about him? He is a prophet. And, uh, you know, they don't like that answer either. And, you know, it's him ascribing some sort of legitimacy uh, to Jesus's ministry. When they say he's a prophet, oh, okay, so if he's a prophet, he's from God. So this is, this is a, a godly thing that just happened. And they're all wrapped up on what day this happened, Saturday, the Sabbath. You know, they started to say that the man was never blind, accusing him of lying altogether. You've never been blind. Okay. You know, that, that type of response could have been proper for him. And we see at the end of this, and I'm going to try to fast forward. We did have communion, so I might go a couple minutes over, and I'm sorry, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep it as quick as I can. But he gets to the point, this guy gets to the point where he's like, all right, I've had enough. And he started, I love, I love it when he does, too. So they start saying that, that, okay, you've never been blind. Let's get this guy's parents in. They get the guy's parents in, and, you know, they're saying, all right, this is your son, the, the one born blind. Yeah, well, well, who healed him? And they're like, we don't know. You know, uh, you know he, um, he hadn't been home. It's not like his parents had, had, you know, what we see from what happened here is there's immediate. As soon as this happens, it's not like he ran home and told everybody. It just as he's out in the crowd, everybody sees this happening, and they're asking him questions, and this just develops. You know, he obeyed Christ and went to the pool of Siloam as he was instructed. And then he returned seeing. And, you know, imagine the joy in his parents. Like, they didn't even get the point that, like, what we see here, there isn't anything described of them running up and like, oh, my, yes, this is him. You know, they, they, they've they got to be scared. They've got to be scared because, wait a minute, if we, if we say this guy uh, is the Christ, we're going to get put out of the synagogue, which means to be rejected, which means any income they had. Whatever friends they had, family they had, they had to be shunned. Basically, their fear, uh, uh, fearing being shunned completely, religiously and uh, you know, amongst all their family and everything. So the situation had been overshadowed. This, this miracle is being overshadowed by these self-righteous religious leaders. And uh, now they're fearing being uh, put out, and they confirm, yeah, we don't know how he sees, but he's old enough. Go ahead and ask him. 
So you know, their response you know, met the requirements of the religious leaders, but it also spoke that a miracle had happened. So they didn't deny that the miracle had happened, but they also didn't put themselves into a corner where they get cast out. Verse 24. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> this, this is where the tables start turning. And the guy's like, all right, you're, trying to, you're, you're telling me I'm a liar. You're trying to intimidate my parents. I've had enough of it. You asked me the story. I told the story. And you know what, what's going on? You guys dig, digging into this? You know, give God the glory, they say. He already did. When they said, who did this? A prophet. Meaning it was somebody from God uh, ministering. And, and uh, he's, he's not playing the game. And he said, you know, when he says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind and now I see. Sounds familiar, right? Written by a slave owner that was so loved and, and ministered to by a slave that he writes the song, you know, as, as God changes his life. Amazing grace. I was blind, but now I see. That's a familiar line. That, that song, guys, I love that song. But I, I, I'm always I'm always frustrated, and I, I, I love that people will sing of the grace of God, but I know that I've seen that song being sang in settings that were not honoring God at all. At all. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. And it's maybe at a funeral of someone who uh, totally rejected the Lord in their lives. And I see those all around them that are living that same life singing that song. Great. Why are we singing the song? Who? What grace are we speaking of? We're just making ourselves. What ends up being? What it ends up being is, hey, we're going to make ourselves feel better. And we're going to sing this song, and then we're going to go off and live like hell the way we did before. But we've said amazing grace, so we're good to go, right? No, that man's life completely changed when he wrote that song. I don't know how many years ago he wrote that song. I was blind, but now I see. You know, it's not this man, as they ask him, you know, we know that he's a sinner. It's not his responsibility to, to know if he's a sinner or not. You know, if, if Jesus was a sinner, you know, he, he has to instruct the teachers of that. He's like, I don't know if he's a sinner. I'm way over paraphrasing that when I do it that way. But, you know, Jesus Christ is a sinless one that became sin for us. We just, we just had communion this morning. So it's it's great that this this falls on this. You know, he died for us, meaning he took our sins upon himself. The only sin that Jesus Christ uh, has ever had and uh, can associate himself with is our sins, and we're the ones that he died for. Second Corinthians five twenty one says, "For he made him God the Father, made him God the Son, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him." 1 Peter 2, 24 says, Who himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by those by whose stripes you were healed. Galatians 1, verses 3 through 5 says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself 
for our sins, that he might deliver us from our present evil age according to the will of God the Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Last scripture verse uh, reference, Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. But he has, sorry, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is you know, one of the scriptures that, that these people would know intellectually, but they had no faith to understand what Isaiah 53 meant. This is an Old Testament scripture right there, saying there was going to be one that would die a substitutionary death for them. And they didn't even know to whom this was uh, speaking of. In verse 26, it's, they, they're not getting anywhere with their current strategy, and they find themselves asking what happened and, and how Jesus healed them again. And this man is now rebuking the religious leaders. It's gone to the point where, you know, he's a little bit scared. Then he starts getting mad. And now he's, he's mocking them, and now he's rebuking them. And he says, I told you already, and you didn't listen. And he was right. You know, they were only listen, willing to listen to what they wanted to hear. Now, have we ever been in that situation in our lives? Yep. <laughs> I only want to hear this, so I'm going to surround myself with those people because they're, you know, those those people that, you know, like-minded people. And you're not going to open any other type of, you know, we're not open to any type of counsel or input except our own. And, you know, the, the opposite of what the scriptures and, uh, you know, they're responsible for knowing what's happening here. You know, as, as this man is saying, the way they're conducting themselves in their words is the exact opposite of how they're, uh, what they're supposed to be teaching. And, and the man is um, rebuking them as the religious leaders. And he's not intimidated by them anymore. They, he's past that now. And he's, he's not intimidated uh, and, uh, by them or their rejection that they can threaten. And, you know, he says, why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be his disciples? So the, the situation is now flipped on them. And, uh, you know, they're the ones that are on their heels. Their plans backfired. And uh, the guy just places it right. That hot potato. I had a baked potato this week and Jen gave it to me. And I was I was reminded of that hot potato, you know, that, that game. Like, it's a hot potato. I'm going to throw it over to you. It, this, is, this is what's happening. And, and, and they're not happy about it. Verse 28, then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from. Yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God, now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you are completely born in your sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. The guy had enough. And I, I love that. They reviled him, and and and, uh, and he says, well, this is a marvelous thing. You know, the, you know this this. This man uh, gets cast out of the synagogue, and, and they're, they're reviling him, and they, you know, boastful claims that they're followers of Moses, and, and the Lord dealt with that before. He's like, if you were followers of Moses, you'd know who I am, and they weren't followers of Moses. Remember, you know, don't even bother calling yourself sons of uh, of Abraham, because God can raise up sons of Abraham from these stones. 
You know, they're so they're so set in their how they were born, what type of blood was rolling through their veins that they didn't understand anything. The importance of knowing God and, and having a relationship with Him. So the man now is flat out embarrassing him. And in layman's terms, or you know, common you know today's world, he's like, "This is crazy." You mean, you mean this man's healing the blind, and you don't even know if he's from God or not. You know, just a normal conversation. You think of that, and you know, I thought you it basically now he gets in. I thought you guys were the ones who were supposed to know these things. If he was evil, God wouldn't be using him for the kingdom. If he was a worshiper of God and does uh, and does God's will, you know, God's going to hear him. But you know, you know, you ever heard of somebody opening the eyes of the blind? And he's just—he's flat out just—he's pulled every punch, and he—he's embarrassing them. And you know, if he weren't from God, he could do nothing. And their response is to cast him out. They only want to hear from those who agree with them, and uh, that they can intimidate. That are going to shut up and and uh, act like they—they uh, they don't have anything to say. You know, Jesus himself op, uh, often rebuked them for their hard-heartedness. And he told them that they were not of God, but of their father, the devil. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, "When there is when there is no counsel, the people fail, up all. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety." Proverbs twelve fifteen says, "The way of a, of a fool is right in his own in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise." These people are neither of them. They want to hear what they want to hear, and they want everybody around them to say the right thing. And instead of, hey, the multitude of counselors saying, wait a minute, this is this is wrong. You know, they, they don't have that mindset at all. You know, the children of God should be surrounding themselves with godly people and godly wisdom. What does Psalm 1 say? Blessed is a man who walks now in the counsel of the ungodly, right? Blessed is that man. And when we, we see through, read through Psalm 1, it's great. So they resort to to trying to insult him, and they they cast him out, and uh, you know they're saying, "Oh yeah, we'd be born in your sins," and they cast him out. Typical response from them. Remember when Stephen in Acts chapter seven, and he's just blasting them with this with this um, sermon for the ages, and they're cut to the heart. They stop their ears, and they run and attack him. You know they stuck up stones to stone Jesus before when they said things that they didn't like. We'll keep going. Verse thirty-five. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, "Do you believe in the Son of God?" And he answered and said, "Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him?" And Jesus said to him, "You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you." Then they then he said, "Lord, I believe," and he worshipped him. And Jesus ministers to this man that believes that God had healed him. Now, this was um, this man had been cast out for a statement of faith, and because he wasn't intimidated by the great power of ungodly religious leaders, and and um, and he had rebuked them. Jesus comes along as a wonderful counselor and ministers to this man. So Jesus sought him out. You know, when he had heard that they had cast him out, that's powerful, and he, he asked if he believes in the Son of God, and Jesus is asking him for a commitment of faith. And uh, the man uh, had, that had been healed, you know, he'd been healed, he'd been persecuted. Um, and uh, then uh, he was called to believe in, in Christ. You know, God isn't limited to ministering in only one pattern. Usually we would see that somebody's been made whole and then God would build them up and then minister to them. This is different. Uh, you know, they, they might, you know, or they've come to faith and then God will heal and then these things. This is actually, uh, you know, kind of backwards from what we're used to seeing. And uh, the man just asks, you know, who are, who is that uh, the son of man that I may believe? Jesus tells him 
that it's him. And he says, Lord, I believe with an exclamation point. Lord, I believe. He makes that statement. You know, Jesus tells him that, that it's the one standing in front of him, the one that healed him of his blindness and, and now makes a de declaration of faith in Christ. And you know, he's no longer welcome in the synagogue, but he's 100% welcome in the presence of Christ. And he worshipped him. He's no, no longer can't go to that place of worship any longer, but he can go right to Jesus directly. And Jesus allows him to personally worship him. And we understand, uh, being in the scriptures, any person or angel that uh, was uh, somebody would bow down to as though they were God, they would they would quickly correct them and say, "Don't do that. I, I'm a servant of God." I uh, in my studies, I found something neat that uh, that Pastor David Guzik po pointed out that I want to share with you. He points out an interesting progression in this man's life and in his heart. He comes to in these declarations in his life that Jesus is a man. That he is a prophet. In verse 17, he says that. That he is my master and I am his disciple. He declares that in verse 27. Jesus is from God in verse 33. Jesus is a son of God in 35 through 38. Jesus is who I trust in verse 38. And Jesus is who I worship in verse 38. Really neat. I couldn't, I, I, I looked that up really briefly last night because I was looking for something else and I saw that. I'm like, copy paste. And I wanted to share that with you, that progression in this man's life. And the last couple verses right here. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world and that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. Uh, then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Jesus said to him, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. So Jesus had a lesson for everyone around. And you know, remember that, uh, that he said that he had come to bring division. And we already talked about the division um, uh, a little bit already. This man immediately experienced division from those in the synagogue and immediate persecution. It was instant for him in his life. And Jesus declared that he's come into the world to accomplish something powerful, that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That one that thinks that they that can see that needs to be made blind, that's the one that Jesus is talking about. The, the one that thinks they can see uh, is actually blind. And, um, uh, Proverbs 3 verse 7 says, Be not wise in, in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. The last one is Isaiah 5 21 says, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. You know, Jesus brings everyone to this point of inner reflection. And, you know, God's kingdom is the opposite of what man's is. You know, his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We see in the scriptures. And God's uh, kingdom, the way up is down. You know, you want to be the greatest, you got to be the servant of all. And the first is last. You know, you, you lose your life for Christ's sake and you'll find it. The encouragement today that I have for you is let, let Jesus' name and praises be on our lips. You know, we, you know what he's done on our behalf. I shared it earlier. We don't have to have the craziest of testimonies of, of where we came from. Just the basics of, you know, you know what? Uh, that the Lord saved me as I was, as a sinner. I was hell bound uh, in my sin. And the Lord uh, found me in my broken state. He spoke to me and he changed me. Any of us can share that. 
any of us can share. You don't know. We don't know how powerful our story is until we include the name of Christ and that God changed us. Never know who we're speaking to. Might be the hardest person you think. And with that softest message of, I came from this soft, you know, I worked in an office. I always did this and obeyed my parents, da, 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 da. And just sharing that testimony. But then I realized that I was still a sinner in God's sight. And I realized that God sent his son to die for me. And they just, I've, I've seen the toughest of, of people just bawling their eyes out, just hearing those basic things or whatever. I came from, you know, prison. I've came from the darkest places of, of, of life and how that will minister to somebody completely opposite of that, of that spectrum. We can't put God in a box and we can't limit how the Holy Spirit's going to work. You know, now we belong to him. Now we believe in him. Don't fear the response of skeptics and mockers. We can't be afraid of those things. I mean, understand that we serve a one that's much greater than them and understand that the Lord said, if we lose our life for his sake, we'll find it. And that, you know, whether there's going to be rejection, there's going to be division that comes as we stand in Christ. Don't be, don't let that be what keeps us from proclaiming his name. Let's pray. Uh, would you stand with me? And uh, I'll have to apologize to all the workers upstairs and in the nursery. So, <laughs> Father, we are so blessed, God, at this Bible account that we can, that we can learn so much from. Help us, Lord, to be your ministers on this earth, just sharing whatever story we have. And, God, that you give us boldness and love. Give us courage and strength. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. Be with us now and protect us the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace to you guys. Have a great week.